0: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It's Super Bowl week. It's Super Bowl week. Wolf and Luke live from
1: the Phoenix Convention Center at Media Row. Hour number two of the show, live from Media Row. Media Row coverage is brought to you by Canvas Annuity, Score up to five point seven percent on your retirement savings. It is Wolf and Luke, and we are pleased to still be uh, joined by ASU football head coach Kenny Dillingham here out at Media Row. Uh, Kenny, you said a lot of interesting stuff last week in particular, and one of the things you said, and you've been consistent with this, I think you even said it the the first time we talked to you, is you you don't want to make promises to to guys you're recruiting, because that sort of sets you up. I mean, You can only predict so much, so I think the way you said it is it was almost unfair to everybody to make promises to guys. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, there's no question. Well, I look at it like this. If I promise a high school kid or a transfer that he's going to play or that this is going to happen, well, either He's going to show up with a mindset of, I've already made it, which makes him complacent, which actually isn't going to help him be the best player he can be by human nature. Human nature, once you've made it, naturally, 99% of the world just isn't quite as motivated. So if I promise you you're going to play and you show up, I'm by default hurting your growth. If I promise you you're going to play or promise all the things and you show up and they don't happen, well, now I lied to you. How are you going to get coached by somebody who lied to you? So in reality, if I promise you something, if I guarantee you something, there is no good outcome. I'm either hurting your growth because now I've made you complacent, right, or I'm hurting your growth because now you have a coach you can't trust. I would much rather be the guy that says this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life if you show up here. I'm going to hold you more accountable than any person's ever held you in your entire life, but if you do it the right way, mm. we're going to have a crap ton of fun because that's who I am as a person.
3: Kenny, did that extend to Jaden Rashada? 100%. As well? 100%. He, 100%. Knows, he knew that up front. He had no guarantees coming to ASL. Zero guarantees. I, I've told him from the first time
2: I talked to him, Right. my job is to make you the best version of yourself on the field, off the field, in life. I want to help you succeed. I'm going to do everything I can to help you succeed, but I can't guarantee you anything. I can just guarantee you I'm going to give everything I have to help you.
1: That's a refreshing perspective that you don't hear very often. Is that where did that come from? Is that just your experience in the game? Is that from somebody that you knew growing up or somebody you played for or coached with?
2: That's just what I believe is right. In this big in this big profession of college football, this billion dollar industry, you have 17 16-year-old kids who are caught In this big web of professional people telling them what they want to hear, getting in their mind, planting seeds, the media telling them what schools they're allowed to go to, what schools they're not allowed to go to, what is acceptable, what they can't do. And you, this 17-year-old just gets overwhelmed and overwhelmed, overwhelmed, and they don't actually do what they want to do. They do what everybody else tells them to do. And it's sad. So for me, it's no. This is what we're going to be here. We're going to be about doing it the right way and telling you the truth. Can you give us a scouting report on Jaden Rashada? Yeah, I mean, I mean, big athletic kid, super, super strong arm, if not the strongest arm in the class, top two, top three, strongest arm in the entire class, can make off platform throws, uh, can get the ball out quick when needed in the RPO world, has the ability to shorten his release uh, if needed, uh, got to get a little bit bigger, got to get in the weight room like most players. Uh, Kids in that are coming out of high school, they got to get in the weight room, get a little bit mm-hmm. bigger. But this is a kid that has all the
3: tools necessary to be an elite player. Can you comp him to anybody? Does he comp to anybody that we would know? Uh, I don't
2: want to give a comp. I can just say big athletic, elite arm strength. Do you
3: remember Randall Cunningham at all? He, uh, uh, I, I do remember Randall Cunningham. Uh, oh, how old were you, Kenny? Seriously. He I was mean, born. He was like two.
2: I mean, I, you had to be. Let me see. My parents had Randall, been together.
3: I'm, oh, my goodness. But anyways, a long, whippy guy. You 100%. get my point, right? And he reminds me, at least the, the clips that I've seen from him, he reminds me of a long, whippy guy. That's what he is. Yeah. Super, super strong arm. I mean, this dude
2: can throw the football 65, 70 yards as a 17-year-old. I went and saw him up at a practice, what was this, a year ago now, and high school hashes are wider than than college hashes, and they're wider than NFL hashes, and this dude threw out go to the field on a rope, right, on a whole shot rope, 18 to 22 yards down the field, across the entire field, and that is a harder throw that even NFL guys have to make, because you're never on that part of the hash. And I said, I call our head coach and I said, this dude is different. <laughs> Laser
1: beam. <laughs> talking to AC football head coach Kenny Dillingham. Uh, Kenny, you mentioned Elijah Badger earlier. When you talked to some of the guys that were here last year, what, what do they say about how, how much things have changed in the last month or two?
2: To be honest, I don't really ask much about the past. It's about moving forward. You know, I think when you compare, I think people who always compare to what it was, what it was, it means you're insecure about what you're doing. I have great confidence in the plan and the staff and what we're doing moving forward to get to where we want to go. So we're not really worried about the past much. We're worried about where we're headed.
3: Where's football headed? Where is football going, Kenny? What do you, you know, the football universe, to me, once again, four years ago, it seemed to be swinging over the new age, new age offense. And now it seems that the pendulum seems to be coming back to the middle. Would you agree with that?
2: 100% agree. I think football's always changing. It's like I said it before, it's like technology. So I'll put this in a bubble. College football, you don't have as many quarterbacks that are elite, right? So how do you get your, your number back? is you usually have to more have a more mobile guy that can get a plus one in the run game triple option so teams started to do what the zone read well, in order to stop the zone read, you have to play a two-high safety shell, essentially, to, to get to cover zero fits, so the extra hat can get it down. Well, the issue with that is, now you can't stop the RPO world, so then the game evolved to the RPO. Right. Well, then, the RPO took over. So how do you start the RPO? You have to spin back to one high, so every route is being matched by a man. So the game went from a one-high league, one-high you know, football, to two-high football, to Stop the zone read in college, in which the quarterback that just runs and scrambles all the time in terms of the zone read is dying, so you're getting back to prototypical one high, and an RPO is just old-school pop pass, just fancy ways to call it, right? Don't let people fool you. Oh, it's an RPO, cutting edge. No. It's old-school play-action pop pass, except O-linemen don't go downfield, right? I'm actually away from the RPO a little to get to where you're saying we're going to dictate on offense. If we want to run the gosh-dang ball, we're going to run it. If we want to throw the ball, we're going to throw it. We're I not going to let the defense just, tell us.
3: I was just going to ask you that. That's the first time that I can think of we're an RPO, which was diabolical to me. When you think of the RPO, okay, we're going to go ahead. And we're going to, You don't know what we're going to do with this ball. We're going to ride this guy, and we're going to look at one guy that weak side inside. We're going to run a slap behind him. And, you know, I'm thinking how diabolical that play action is. Yet at the same time, you're letting the defense actually dictate what you do with the ball. That is diametrically opposed to an old-school, old-world fullback where we were going to run this play and try to dictate to you. Interesting. No no question. Yeah, we want to be... We want to make the decision
2: on what happens. Now, are there going to be times that we run the RPO? Yes, there's a time and a place for it. Yes. But if you can't say it's second and ten and you're on the 50-yard line and we got three downs because we're going to go for it on fourth and three or less, hey, run the ball three times in a row, I don't want to throw it, then you've got a problem. and We need to be able to dictate what's happening.
1: Kenny, I got about fifty more man. questions for you, but I know you're busy, man. We appreciate the time. Good luck this year. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it,
3: Thanks Kenny. Thank you so much, buddy. That's, of course. It's
1: uh, ASU football head coach Kenny Dillingham joining us out here. What are the? We come back the best matchups when it comes to Super Bowl fifty-seven. We're going to ask fifteen-year NFL vet Lorenzo Alexander in the lowdown. He'll join us next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 23 years
3: in the National Football League, and I can tell you this. There is nobody that I admire and respect more than Lorenzo Alexander. He's one of those guys, he's like a lunch bell guy. That blue collar pills are coming to come into work. He's going to outwork you every single play.
0: 15 year NFL veteran Lorenzo Alexander joins Wolf and Luke to give us the lowdown on the Cardinals in the NFL. Brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. To your Valley Chevy dealers for the ultimate lineup. Oh,
1: baby, what a hit by Lorenzo oh, Alexander. All right, Media Real Coverage. I want to remind you it's brought to you by Canvas Annuity Score up to 5.7% on your retirement savings. It is Wolf and Luke. I believe Wolf just officially bought in on ASU with Kenny Dillingham over the last half hour. It's good to see. He, he had me at 32 personnel,
3: <laughs> which was jumbo. He, he, knew, of course. His, he knew his audience 32. On that. Three tight ends, two backs. Here we
1: go. Uh, Lorenzo yeah, Alexander I mean. is joining us right now for the
4: lowdown for the next hour. so what's going on, man? Yeah, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. You know, Wolf will love this, too. You know, I come in here every year, walk around, and this happens to me. It's like almost going to Vegas for me, and people <laughs> think that I am uh, Roy Jones when I'm in Vegas. <laughs> Right, every time people think I'm Roy. They think I I had a guy I was just there yesterday for the Pro Bowl. You, you you Roy Jones? Roy Jones? No, no, man. He's I'm a lot bigger than Roy. You You are. So you probably never seen Roy in person. So same thing happens to me in in (laughs) this in this circle too. So I get Roy Jones when I'm in Vegas with the boxing culture, and then when I come into the football culture, when the whole community gets together, especially Super Bowl or anything of that nature or that magnitude. Who you think people think I am? Um, Roy Jones. No, 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 <laughs> no. It's your position. Fullback, uh, Lorenzo I- Neal. Every I No. Listen, I, I haven't first, yeah, yeah, you I seen Zo in a while. So, in a while so. so I thought you would love that because it's a fullback, right? Okay. So it, it doesn't matter. People, and we have the first same, same name. So be yeah. like, Zo, so, what's up? Lorenzo, what's Can good? So I answer, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and it just happened a second ago, and it's typically, you know, hey. So, man, what do
3: you think, you know, about, amazing, what do you think about the game? They the know you're somebody, right? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, looking yeah, at you yeah, and they're yeah, like, man, yeah, that dude is somebody right there. Yeah,
4: man. Did you hear Kenny Dilling at all. I've, I've heard Kenny multiple times. I know he's been on multiple shows on our station and it's um, I mean, you can hear, you know, the culture running out of him, right? The yeah. excitement. Um, just his personality. I mean, I think he has a, a direction and a vision. And he has the energy to carry it out. So I'm excited for him because I have a lot of ASU fans or f- friends that are fans that are, um, you know, wanting something to happen. And you see the kids that are starting to come over here too. So he's doing something right. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's funny. We are an hour and 15 minutes into the show. We haven't barely talked about the Super Bowl with everything going on with the Suns, obviously the Cardinals. Yeah. We just had Kenny Dillingham in here, so so let's just start there, man. Let's talk Super Bowl. Here it is, Super Bowl week. You said you've been to these before, obviously, the the, the stuff like this, like uh, Media Row. I have, this is my first day ever even doing this. I've gone yeah. to some of the like peripheral stuff, but um, are people fully aware of what this is about to become here in the next few days? Because it's going to take over this city.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was here in 2015, the last time they had it as well, um, and I think, you know, obviously, it hasn't changed. T- well, I guess it probably has changed significantly since then. It's gotten bigger, broader, and then it obviously then the in 2015, too, it, it did it overlap with the Waste Management mm-hmm. Open. So I think the people that were there that time understand how crazy it's going to be and kind of probably avoid this area of being downtown and just being out because it's hard to get down here and hard yeah. to get out. Um, obviously, we have a, new, a lot of transplants after COVID, so I don't think they're fully aware of what it's going to mean in the people. But if you love to play golf, you probably have already seen the difference it makes as far as how much it costs to get a tea time around, <laughs> oh. it, man. I said, Man, hey, who like played off this week? Five hundred, six hundred dollars, <laughs> yeah. somebody was showing me
1: that I was like, Wow, okay.
3: <laughs> so listen I don't want to go into a prediction yet. I don't want that from you. Okay, maybe we'll get that a little bit later in the yeah. week, even if we have you on later in the week. I'd love to do that. But right now, what are the matchups when you look at this
4: Super Bowl coming up? What are the matchups that stick out to you? So you know where I live at Wolf is in the trenches. That's the first mind when we watched and and this is what we talked about last week when we talked about the 49ers yeah. eagles matchup was that the line play yeah right and i was well, so moving the quarterback the quarterback from it when when we watch the philadelphia eagles dominate the line of scrimmage versus that 49er defense especially yeah. the tackles interiorly I, I don't think people really have a great appreciation when you're able to knock another grown man probably five to seven yards off the ball multiple times throughout the game. I get maybe once it twice, but you see it multiple times and then they're finishing him. Just that mindset alone. I don't know if the 49ers would have had a shot even if they had um, Purdy healthy just yeah. because of that that physical play right there never seemed like it was matched by the 49ers, especially their defensive line interiorly by what the Philadelphia Eagles were doing. Linebackers were playing real slow and people were like I think Dan Orlowski did this on ESPN you know, highlighted the linebackers Greenlaw and, and Warner like they weren't moving yeah because they thought the line of scrimmage they were moving but the line of scrimmage was moving towards them <laughs> so they're like I'm good I'm good right <laughs> so that is going to be I think the big telltale sign this week is how does you know Chris Jones and the, and the rest of that uh, yeah. Chiefs defensive line especially interiorly clear things up for the linebackers so Nick Bolton can run around fly around right and that crew and they're not playing on their heels and allowing Sanders to get three or four yards before they decide they want to trigger.
3: And then, of course, you flip it over and you look at the defensive side of the yeah. ball. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles, the number one pass defense yeah. in the National Football League in terms of passing yards per game allowed and per play allowed. Yes, This is the best of the best of the best, and they get after the quarterback, and they turn the quarterback over when you try to throw the ball. And yet, here's here comes the Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes. The number one passing offense yeah. in the National Football League, by by far and away, it is strength
4: versus strength. Right. I can't wait to see that, man. Yeah, and this is where I think Andy Reid is going to play a significant role in this, right? Because the 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 defense of the uh, of the Eagles, their mindset is, I'm going to stop you the run on the way to the quarterback. And so I I think the Niners, if they would have been, if the game would have been closer, there were some runs and stuff that they could have done to kind of exploit that, that they kind of some counters with an end is just running up the field. They just couldn't ever get in the rhythm. They were down before it started over. But the first 15 of Andy Reid is going to have these guys, I think, trying to slow them down. That's going to be the whole intent. Slow them down, play with their eyes, get them moving, and so that they're not necessarily having their ears pinned back the whole time. Because even I, I think about when – um because I already got his sack, right? Kyle Shanahan tried to influence his eyes. People are all upset. Why do you have a tight end? Well, Debo Samuels was coming around the corner too, like an end around, but it was kind of... Blackluster and Hassan Reddick never bid on it. <laughs> never. Right? And I think Andy Reid, I think, is going to be a little bit more deliberate and intentional as far as how he gets those guys' eyes in slow them down. I could actually see a trap.
3: Andy Reid yeah, bringing right. back an old yeah. trap play. Exactly. 10-11 trap. I could see that mm-hmm. with with the Philadelphia Eagles and how they rush that passer.
1: Is this a, a – look, I mean, there's never really a bad matchup for Patrick Mahomes, but, you know, like those Super Bowls that the Giants had beat the Patriots, and it was like it was the one thing the Patriots weren't ready for was that four Man, rush, and they obviously had great guys rushing. Is yeah. this is this a a relatively bad matchup for the Chiefs with what the Eagles can bring defensively?
4: Yeah, from the front four. I mean, I mean, they're a bad matchup for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're not able to, you know, sustain the run, get them to slow down a little bit, um, and especially you know when you couple that with with Jalen Hurts and what they've been able to do offensively and put points up on the board yeah. pretty quickly, then you force the pass. Now I know you. I, I don't care what you all that I can you give me. I'm not even worried about that no more because I'm about to go hunt you up, and if you get two or three yards on the run, so be it, but you're not going to be able to stay patient, knowing that we may be up two scores, um, and so at some point I'm going to steal me one, and that I think that's their whole mindset, you know, kill them with Jalen in this f- really front eight, because they rotate six to eight guys wow. getting after you, and they staying fresh. Who do you
3: think has the advantage at the quarterback
4: position in this one, right?
3: I mean, Jalen Hurts has played so well, yeah. and I've been the guy, I, I did this to, to Kurt Warner, hey, I, every week, I was a guy saying, oh, this is it. Kurt's going to blow up. Right. his rookie oh, yeah. What he was doing well, I was like, this is it. Kurt's going to – this is the week where it happens, and it never did. Kurt Werner was Correct. graybeard. Jalen Hurts, the same way. He I thought, this is way. it. This is it. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, this is where he's going to finally – he's going to show his inexperience relative. That's not the case. Yeah, when this you hear the man talk, too, you see that he's mature. This, this guy ears. exactly right, man. I, I don't know if you can say that – The Kansas City Chiefs have that big of an advantage at the quarterback position.
4: I I, I mean, Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes. I'm I'm giving the nod to him because he's experienced it, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Jalen is going to be able to thrive in that situation as as well. But I'm going to still give the nod to Pat because he's just been doing it longer. He's been there. He's experienced it. Um, but that doesn't mean that Jalen can't come in here and play well and, and do his thing as well. So that, that's the only way I'm going to give him a nod just because he's been here yeah. before 1-1, won, won, lost one. So he knows what to expect with the routine, right? And so obviously, and then you throw in everything that media role means, all the extra things that you got to do kind of away from football this week. If you haven't experienced that yet, it, it, and I don't think it's going to impact Jalen, but that can, you know, throw maybe if I'm just not, I'm just a little off because my routine's a little different. Yeah. No,
1: it, it's, It's such a good matchup because you know the Chiefs are going to be ready. Like, you're not going to have a team no-show this game because it doesn't feel like Jalen Hurts would ever allow that to happen if it's ever even an issue. Uh, Texas, your thoughts? The FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now when we come back. Zoe's going to stick around. The Suns reportedly offered the Nets' Chris Paul to try to get Kyrie Irving. So what kind of impact could that have on Phoenix locker room? We'll ask the 15-year NFL vet in the lowdown as it continues next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Source.
4: Woo! It's crazy. I've never seen nothing like this.
0: Lorenzo Alexander, 15-year NFL veteran. And he is going to get sacked. Lorenzo Alexander, the former Cardinal. The Lowdown with Wolf and Luke. Brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. See your Valley Chevy dealers for the ultimate lineup.
1: Well, normally, this is where I'd say we're at the auction Community Studios, but not this week. Wolf, we're out here Media Road, downtown Phoenix. Super Bowl, of course, is Sunday at State Farm Stadium in case that got lost in the shuffle for everybody because the Cardinals are still looking for a coach, and there's a lot of stuff going on with the Phoenix Suns. Meteor Road coverage is brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 5.7% on your retirement savings. Lorenzo Alexander is here for the lowdown, and uh, Zoe, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to go with a little bit of uh, basketball here because now... As as we hear more and more news pour out from yesterday, there's a lot of insiders around the NBA saying it sounded like it was going to be Kyrie to the Phoenix Suns yesterday morning before Dallas swooped in. I want to start with the fact that the story came out last night that it leaked that the Suns were offering Chris Paul. And just from your experience in locker rooms, I mean, that is the consummate leader in Chris Paul. Does that have to do anything to this locker room? Does it impact this locker room, or can they just move on?
4: Um, I think it. the only way it impacts it is if, if, if Chris feels slighted or disrespected in it, right? And so if they communicated with him, and I don't see why they wouldn't, um, the potential of him being traded, then I don't think it's an issue. The only time, you know, professionals get upset, you know, players that have a, you know, a, a stable mind that are leaders get upset is when you lie to them or you're not tr- transparent, especially a guy that's earned the right for you to be upfront with them. And so as long as they did that right and handled it right, I don't think it should be any issue because at the end of the day, he understands it's a business, right? He understands that they're trying to win a championship. Now, you know, personal pride may come into it because you're going to bring in who? right Kyrie yeah. now from an athletic standpoint there's you can't deny that there's a, obviously a significant difference right but and I'm not obviously an NBA insider and I I don't know any really NBA players but from the outside looking in Kyrie, it destroys culture. He's not a culture builder. Consistently. Consistently. I mean, he's obviously won a championship, but he had, you know, arguably the best player ever to play leading the way where he was legitimately playing the number two and and wasn't this version of Kyrie that we know today. Um, And so I don't know why you would want to do that, um, especially when you're thinking about, you know, Not necessarily this year, but the future window of this team, the Nucleus, riding with D-Book. Why you would want to bring in somebody that in every place that he's been, maybe I have a a bad perspective of of what he's created there, right? He may be a great dude, but what he has been the Nucleus or the foundation of as far as... Uh, chaos and, and organizational uh, tension and, and relationship breakdown every place. I, I don't want that, right? Especially when you still have some young guys on this team. Uh, you don't want them following underneath that footstep. Like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be done. That's only going to create more issues uh, for you to win. It's already hard enough to win this league versus trying to overcome what a guy is doing away from the basketball court, right? And so, for me, talent is important, but it's not the number one thing in my mind. I yeah. think that's a significant piece, but if a guy has shown who he is over and over and over and over and over and over, I'm going to trust that's who he is and not want to bring that into my organization. You know, it's so weird because in
3: 1993, Bill Belichick cut Bernie Kozar from mm. the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Can you imagine that? First of all, he's from northern Ohio, northeast Ohio. He's from that area. Bernie Kozar, we used to call him the Tsar of Cleveland. And he cut him midway through the 1993 season. And I will tell you right now, the ramifications that had on that locker room, I'm sure you can imagine the the shockwaves that went through that locker room because he was an established leader. And the fact that Bill Belichick cut him, I'll never forget the impact it had on that locker room. Have you experienced anything like that? Where a player that was popular, let's say Chris Paul does get traded, he gets moved. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he, he's gone. Right, a guy that had so much and brought so much to the culture of what the Suns were all about, and now he's
4: gone. Right, it, it can do it can do two things, right, and it and it and it depends on you know the messaging that the head coach is, is giving, right. The the number one thing I think where people's minds go to naturally is like, well, anybody's expendable. You're Obviously outside of D books, so I, I need to tighten up, you know, if I want to be around and want to be a part of this thing. Where I think it, it lands, especially when you're dealing with more like a guy like Chris is, is like, you cut that dude, or you traded him, and he's doing everything right. He's saying the culture. What are, what are we doing, right? Um, and so that's that's the way it can be taken, and maybe it would be taken, especially when you have a guy that's been that integral part of trying to get in this organization where it's yeah. at currently, right? And you this ah, uh, we're done with him, right? That's kind of like the hard thing of sports, the hard to wrap your mind around. But I think that can have more of that effect, especially a guy like Chris, if you of just trading him and bringing in a guy especially and then who you're bringing him in for right because players will talk about that too all the time too right you paid this dude, but you didn't want to pay him? <laughs> right? you you right. going to let go of our leader, and you're going to bring him. I get that he can ball, but have y'all seen what he's been doing? You know, you know, yeah, and right. guys will talk more like that, too. Yes. So um, I think more of that latter probably would have happened with the Chris Paul situation. You know, obviously not knowing everything that's going on day-to-day with the team, but from an outside perspective looking in, seeing that occurring.
1: Well, like you said, too, the, the trickle-down effect. I, I know the trade deadline in football is different than it is in basketball because there might just be a flirtation moves here this week, but if you are Mikel Bridges or you're Cam Johnson, now you look around and you're like, I, it's, if Chris Paul is expendable, anybody is. I mean, right. and, and this is a team that seems to like, like, if you've been on teams where you're like, I know stuff's going to potentially happen, but I, I like this team. I, would, I want them to keep this team together.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, always in the back of your mind, you just know things are very fragile. I mean, if you play long enough, you know anybody's expendable. And things are fragile. It's just all about how the organization goes about doing it when they do end up blowing things up or making shifts um, in, in that regard. Yeah.
3: So you haven't played with somebody like that? I also remember myself... I'm thinking Otis Anderson, 1986. Okay. I mean, O.J. Anderson. Google it, my young crux. He was a big, big deal. Literally a big man. This is a guy 6'3", Otis yeah. Anderson. I don't know yeah, if you yeah, realize yeah. how big O.J. was. 6'3", and he was 230 pounds, and he moved like he was 175 pounds. Right. Otis Anderson, one of the most talented individuals I have ever been around, and they traded him. They got rid of Otis Anderson in 1980. And that also sent shockwaves through the locker room again. I know it can have an impact right. not only on, obviously, um, the player that you're moving, but when it doesn't happen, the player that you're you're trying to move. And all of a sudden, oh, man, you tried to trade me to your point. right? So, man, that's a shocker, but I think it actually pales in comparison to everyone else around him. And sometimes that can also send a good message in the locker room. Room. Hey, listen, you know what? It's a good reminder. This is a mercenary league, and yeah.
4: it's played by mercenaries. Right, and that's and again, that's why I say, like, the coach messaging is, is such a fine line, right, of a family, loyalty, trust, respect, right, all those things that you, you got to have guys to buy in to, to really transcend, you know, the collective talent to go to that next level and win a championship that you always want. But at the end of the day, like what Wolf is talking about, I mean, it's about business at the end of the day, right? And how do you walk that fine line? And so I think as always, it's it always comes back to me to great communication and transparency so that the right messaging is being sent, right? Yeah, guys, I, we want all this. But, hey, if you ain't falling in line, even though you, I, I say you're my brother and you're my family, I will trade you, yeah, right? And I think that's why you'll see even, like, front office guys kind of create, especially the GM, a little bit of separation, right? Like, uh, like I get real close to Sean McDermott, but Brandon Bean always had, like, an arm's distance, right? Because they're human, too. So they yeah. know if I get too close to this guy, so I, I, I won't be in the right mindset to be able to – because I know you, I know your family have hung out with you. Can I do this? You know, and it makes it really hard. Yeah.
3: That's Bill Belichick. Yeah. Bill Belichick was over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll just stand right there. <laughs> right. I'm going to be the sociopath here, okay? <laughs> and I will cut you in a heartbeat. And everyone knew it. Uh, Big Game Weekend's most exclusive event, Sports
1: Illustrated. The party is heading to Arizona Saturday, February 11th, featuring headlining performances by Machine Gun Kelly and the Chainsmokers. Limited tickets are available, and you can win a pair now by visiting the contest page on ArizonaSports.com. All right, when we come back, we get to keep Zoe for one more segment. The Cardinals head coaching search is down to three finalists. So, who does Zoe think would be the best foot? We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports.
0: Here we go, 15-year NFL veteran Lorenzo Alexander joins Wolf and Luke. A guy who epitomizes class, integrity, and is a true gentleman. The Lowdown brought to you by your Valley Chevy dealers. See your Valley Chevy dealers for the ultimate lineup.
1: I want to remind you that Media Row coverage is brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Scored to 5.7% on your retirement savings. It is Wolf and Luke. We're out here at Media Row. Lorenzo Alexander is joining us. Final segment of the lowdown here. So, so we've got to get into the Cardinals head coaching search, which I feel like we've talked to you about for four weeks now because we have. A little bit of clarity over the weekend, at least in the sense that we now know it's probably one of these three guys, either Lou Anarumo, uh, Mike Kafka, or Brian Flores. So I guess let's just start there. I know we've, we've, we've talked about all the different possibilities, but now we're down to three. Brian Flores is the one that, I don't want to say surprised me, but that's the one that kind of made my ears perk up when they were saying they're going to have a second interview with him
4: this week. Right. Um, Where do you come out on these final three? Uh, I'm really only familiar with... Brian Flores you know I've talked to guys about the other two candidates and and I haven't got anything bad back but I, you know most people when you ask about their guys yeah. they're not going to say anything bad <laughs> right um, and you know uh, being around Brian Flores a little bit talking to him speaking with him knowing that he's been with the Steelers and talking to Danny Smith who I'm really tight with That's my special teams coach who's in Pittsburgh now when I was in Washington for 70 years um, obviously they have great great things to say about him and I just like his mentality I like that the defensive mindset, uh, the accountability. I, I like the essence of Bill Belichick, right? Of, of, of what that means at the foundation of his core. But I think he's aware enough to understand that he can't be Bill. And I think a lot of guys kind of getting that. Um, um, kind of state of mind feeling like I got to be Bill. I think he's learned from his his experience. I think he's he's grown from that and I think he has the ability to add a little bit of who, or not a little bit, a lot of who he is but with the foundation of what he learned under Bill Belichick and that whole um Patriots way um, and so I think that'll be great for this team this team needs discipline um, it needs clarity um, it, it um, needs accountability and I mean I think he embodies all of that from my my, my interactions with him
3: so what are your thoughts in regard to having an offensive minded head coach the last three right. have actually won the Super Bowl for the last
4: five what are your thoughts on that I don't I don't know I mean obviously that's that, that, that happens to be what it is and I think a lot of that's just because that's the majority of head coaches, right? That's who people are hiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, and
3: not only that, too, I think if you juxtapose the previous five years, before the last yeah.
4: five, you With know, when suddenly it's
3: Bill Belichick winning.
4: And right, yeah. The greatest coach right, ever. right, he was winning every other year, so people probably take him. Let's throw him out of that, because they have <laughs> time, right, Brady, exactly. even though you can't do it. But I would also say, in a lot of those games, if you look at the championship games, it wasn't necessarily the offense winning. We get caught up in, right, who was the head head coach, right? Yes. There was a defense walking on that field uh, stopping the opposing team as well, right? Yes. And so, are we giving the offensive coordinator credit for what the defensive staff did to stop the opposing team? It's the same thing I've been telling. You know, some people hear, oh, we need an offensive guy because of Kyler and this offense. No, you don't. Totally agree. You All these offensive guys that you talk about, except maybe for a couple of them, they all were coordinators. Yeah. So, it's all about hiring a great coordinator that can come in and do that job. Being a head coach, I don't think is going to change Kyler's perspective of him, it's going to be how he relates, right? A la Cliff. He was the head coach, offensive guy. I don't know if that relationship was the best or they was able to get the most out of Kyler based on that. So it doesn't have to be an offensive-minded head coach. You want to have a great people on your staff that have roles just like players and hit whoever the offensive coordinator's role with a defensive head coach is going to be, make this offense the best, have a great relationship with Kyler, and let's to help develop him along with the quarterback coach, right? That's who's going to be spending the most time in that room. Most of the coordinators, you have so many responsibilities, right? And that's why a lot of guys end up end up giving up play calling ability because it's just so much. And so you have to have great people around you to help create a, a culture and environment that's going to birth the best out of this Arizona yeah. Cardinals offense. And it's, and that goes beyond a great head coach. You can have a great head coach and bad staff and not get anywhere. Yeah, it's, right? it's not like if you
1: hire a defensive. Arizona Sports. Breaking news. Uh-oh. All right, what, what do we got?
4: All right, guys. So,
1: this is according to Dwayne Rankin on Twitter. Monty Williams expects Devin Booker to play tomorrow against the Nets. All
3: right. Okay. Starts.
1: That, that is a big deal, but not oh, as big man. of a deal as that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> That's good right there, man. Everybody's eyes uh, just
4: got really yeah. big when we heard uh, that. Uh, <laughs> Devin Booker <laughs> will be traded. Uh, yeah. like, what? <laughs> we, we need a way to so say right, this. Right, right. It's
1: never, uh, never can be misconstrued. Yeah. All right. The good news there, though, getting Devin Booker back. Right. Um Rizal, what I was going to say is you're? I think on this show we're pretty consistently, like, from the beginning, we wanted that lean toward a defensive guy. I mean, Sean Payton would have been my first choice, but yeah. then Dan Quinn or Brian Flores. But uh, it's not like the offense just runs free if you have a defensive head coach. and like, oh, take care of yourselves. You right. have a coordinator over there.
4: Exactly. And the head coach's job is to keep, have the vision, right, uh, communicate that vision, and making sure that everybody upholds that and doing their part. And um, I think there's a lot of great offensive minds out there that have the ability to, from a coordinated position, communicate build a relationship with Kyler and the rest of the offensive guys and, and be productive underneath a defensive coordinator or defensive head coach's vision
3: yeah you know for me once again I, I we've talked about this I think but defensive minded head coaches for me. They're just more old traditional school, yeah. and I like that. Right? They've got a mentality to them. We're going to be more physical than that offense. Right? They've got a chip on their shoulder, I think, as well, and I like that, metaphorically speaking. Again, I just think they're more physically inclined on the defensive side of the ball. You got to line up, and I'm going to demand that you hold your gap and you hold your ground. Yeah. You know, I just love that, and it's one of the reasons why, especially Brian Flores, the things that I've been told, not. Only only from you, Zul, but many other guys yeah. as well. This this is a guy who's going to demand that, and I want to see that again. Yeah, and
4: he had great success in Miami with, uh, it seems like, an owner that wasn't supporting him, right? Yeah. I think we forget that. That
1: was a very yes. weird situation. Yeah.
4: <laughs> right? So he was able to flourish through chaos and adversity, which is probably going to be a little bit of that in the beginning stages when you come in and trying to do this something new, right? And so I think he's also shown that he's able to thrive and work when everybody's not Eye to eye, which I think is a is a big uh, a big uh, green check check off for of me
1: wanted to throw this Buddha Baker quote at you too from uh, NFL.com. You sound like you've you've, you've already seen it, but I'll read it for the listeners. It says, uh, this is Buddha saying, quote, you know, in training camp it was definitely startling to not see a lot of the starters practicing and stuff like that because I knew, you know, especially with the preseason games, none of us played in the preseason. It's kind of just going through training camp, which was not a lot of people, and then we get to week one. It showed who was prepared. I don't think we were as prepared in the beginning of when it all started than what we could have been, unquote. I think a Lot of people watching felt that way pretty unanimously, but it's yep. it's different when we're watching as opposed to hearing Buddha Baker or any of the players really say no. That's what it felt like on the inside too. Yeah,
4: there's yeah, there's a ton of players. I was about to say beyond Buddha that feels the same way. Um, this is where I, th- I and I think it was necessary that they practice, This is where I think like a guy like Buddha. I don't know what was going on during that time, and I obviously going to change because Cliff is no longer there. Is that it would have been great to see guys like. No, we practicing today, right? I mean, I, I know guys like a London Fletcher would be like, no, nah, we practicing today. No, no I understand. thank you, Cliff, for, for giving us the day off or whatever, but this is where we're practicing. So I think as much as we want to point the finger at uh, you know Cliff and some of his antics as far as his the, his vision and structure, how he wanted to go about things, some of these players got juiced enough to say, hey, no, nah, I'm practicing today too, right? And so that's where it's accountability on both sides and be able to see the big picture. And as a leader, and I had to grow into this, and this is why, I'm I'm saying this for for Buddha as he continues to move forward. When you feel like it, it like this just doesn't sit right with me, say something, yeah. right? And it, you'll probably get it changed. Like he's no, got the power, right? We need to, we need to practice. I'll go with JJ. Hey JJ, I think we need to practice, huh? do Don't yeah. you think we need to practice? Yeah, we need to practice, and then you'll see more guys out there, right? And so I think as you move forward, because because Brian or whoever the next head coach is not going to always get it right either. The leadership in there when something is not sitting right, have a conversation and say, hey. And, uh, I think we should do it this way, especially when you know it's probably for the betterment of the team, and it's going to be, obviously, when you lead, a lot of times you're going against the grain, too, and you have to be living those hard moments, so I think that's a it's a growing moment for that leadership, especially Buddha's going to be here moving forward, to try to address it in the moment, if he ever feels that again with wh- wh- whoever the new head coach is.
3: Yeah, and I think that, obviously, is going to be part of the new culture going yeah. forward, don't you, Zoe? I'm getting this feeling right now that whoever they bring in, he's going a practice, and I think it's probably sure. going to be a, a harder practice right. than what
4: they've done. Anything would be harder than a walkthrough. <laughs> right. Okay, I just hope. I just hopefully it doesn't go like we always do—the polarization of things. It, it needs to be, to be. It doesn't. Don't yeah. don't throw Everybody it back, back to, to Joe Gibbs, nineteen eighty you know padded practices we're we we go. going live don't do that all right we don't need that right we just need what we need to be ready for the games and obviously that's practicing a, a little bit more than what they were doing
1: so great stuff as always man i know you got a lot of other people lined up to talk to you but thanks for the time but
4: right, always appreciate you love you dog that's all right, that's Thank all right. You, so man.
1: alexander joining us for the lowdown as he does each and every week we'll come back we'll talk a little more cardinals with victor d Mukherjee. he will join us next it's wolf and luke on arizona sports the local sports leader